Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Friday, April 30th, 2021. Well, as we continue moving through Romans 14 and consider some of the issues here, we're going to have to arrive at the age-old question, what's love got to do with it? We're moving through Romans 14, and it's talking about what we often refer to even as the gray areas or issues that clearly there's disagreement amongst believers on these things. But as we're seeing the Apostle Paul write, it's clear some of these things that are being disagreed about, they're not sin issues. They're not gospel issues, but there are some strong opinions and strong disagreements. Um, We see the examples he's talking about. He's talking about, you know, hey, different days and should we honor different days? Maybe there were people saying we should be worshiping together on this day, or maybe some were saying, no, we should be worshiping on this day. He clearly talks about food and uh, some saying it's fine to eat these foods and others that said no, because maybe some of those foods were associated with idol worship. No, it's, it's not right to eat those foods. And while the issues may be different today, I don't know when the last time you had a debate with somebody about food sacrifice to idols or the last time you, I'd be curious to know if any of you have been to a dinner recently where somebody offered you food sacrifice to idols. But the issues may have changed, but there are still issues today that Christians, even within the same church, will disagree about. And if we step back from a, for a moment, we'll realize these aren't gospel issues. These aren't issues where, hey, we need to open up our Bibles and defend sound doctrine that is under attack. And for many of them, they're not Well, to be a gray area, it also has to not be a sin issue, something that we can look at the Bible and say, whoa, no, the Bible clearly says this is wrong. It's something where there is no clear direction about it being a gospel issue or clear direction about whether it is. It is right or wrong, but there is disagreement. And there may be many issues that kind of fit that description in your local church or amongst other Christians that you know. And so as we consider those issues, we need to ask the question, what's love got to do with it? And we're going to see today it has a lot to do with it. As we consider these issues yesterday, we saw how it should start really with all of us having an awareness of our own judgment, that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And now as Christians, we have to realize uh, there is no condemnation. We saw that in Romans chapter 8. But even as we consider passages like um, 1 Corinthians 5 or 1 Corinthians 3, it seems there will be some evaluation of our lives, even as Christians, as we stand before Christ. And we want to honor him. We want to please him. We're not worried about condemnation in that moment, but we do want to consider this evaluation. And we should be spending more time really concerned about ourselves than nitpicking and judging our brother. Well, today he he gets into some different thoughts in this whole topic. Starting in verse 13, as we're looking at Romans 14, 13 through 23, he says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So now he's introducing a new thought. Not only do I want to not 
judge my brother. I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. And then verse 14, I think is very interesting. And I think it's a very key verse. If you want to understand how is a Christian to navigate these gray areas, or even you hear people talk about Christian liberty and what do we have the freedom in Christ to do? This verse is key in understanding that Romans 14, uh, 14, and then really into 15. Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. These are crucial verses here. Because Paul basically starts off and saying, hey guys, this whole discussion about meat, well, guess what? It's meat and it's not unclean in and of itself. And I think Paul is right in saying that, but he goes on to say, but if somebody is still struggling with that, if somebody thinks it's unclean, they shouldn't eat it. They should not go against their conscience. So Paul's even saying, hey, their con- their conscience might be misinformed, but if it's still against their conscience, they should not do it. As it says at the end of this chapter, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. God does not want us to go against our conscience. And then he introduces this idea of love. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So there might be something in your mind, and maybe this is where we get into this idea of Christian liberty. And there might be something that you have no problem in your conscience about doing something. And even you are convinced that you are right in that, that there is no problem. You you are persuaded by the scriptures and by the Holy Spirit that what you're doing is absolutely fine. But you have a brother that is bothered by it. Here, Paul is teaching us in that situation, because I love my brother, I will give up the thing that I know really isn't a big deal, um, isn't a sin, isn't wrong. It's not bothering my conscience, but I will give that up for the sake of the conscience of my brother, because I don't want him to go against his conscience and sin because to go against our conscience is sin. And what's motivating Paul to say this? And what is he teaching us that we should think about as we navigate this? It's love. I love my brother. And really, that's the thing when we think about Christian liberties. A lot of people today, when they think, well, hey, I have freedom in Christ, so that means I'm free to do this thing. And I want to, you know, pound my fist on the desk and say, this is my right. Paul teaches us kind of throughout the New Testament that what we really should be thinking was more like, hey, my freedom in Christ is more about what I'm willing to give up than what I'm claiming and holding on to my right to do. It's more, hey, what what am I willing to give up out of love for my brother? And that's something we need to think about as well as we navigate some of these issues. Uh, There should be a sensitivity towards, I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. And that is driven not by legalism that, oh, I I can't do these things. It's driven by love. And then what other thought that Paul gives us in this passage is really, guys, we've got bigger fish to fry. 
In verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That lots of times when we start to engage and debate about some of these secondary, I mean, even beyond secondary, really, these gray area issues, we're starting to nitpick and really focus on things where we shouldn't be focused. Because the kingdom of God isn't about eating and drinking. It's really about what's going on in our hearts, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And we want to keep our focus there. So as you navigate these issues, here's the three things that I want us to remember from Romans 14 this time around. One, let's spend more time considering our own lives and preparing to stand before that evaluation from Christ than nitpicking the lives and what the actions of our brother. Second, we want to be motivated by love to resolve to never do something that you think will cause a brother to stumble. And then third, we want to keep the main things the main things. We don't want to get sidetracked about debates about things that don't deserve that much attention. And we want to stay focused on things like righteousness and peace and joy. So a lot to learn there from Romans chapter 14. Let's move on now to the Old Testament, to Judges 10 and 11. We see about two judges at the beginning of chapter 10 that we don't really get much about. But then we see more about uh, the sin and the disobedience and then the consequences of that in Judges 10. And we see in Judges 10.10, the people, they cry out, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. Um, they're, they're crying out and God basically says, I'm, I'm not going to listen. Um, and I don't think he really treats their apology and their confession as genuine. But then after that rebuke, in verse 15, the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. And so here, I think we get a good snapshot of some thoughts on genuine repentance and confession. And I think from that second response, a couple things that we should realize in our own lives, we're not really genuine in our repentance. We're not really genuine in our confession until we are willing to do two things. One, accept the consequences. And two, turn away from the sin. And that's what we see in that second time. They say, we have sinned due to us, whatever seems good to you. I mean, there's a willingness to accept God, do what you think is right in response to our sin. And then in verse 16, it says, so they put the foreign gods from among them away. They, they put away the idols. Uh, and that's where we have to consider in our own lives. Are we willing to say that God is right and accept whatever um, measures he's going to take in response to our sin? And are we willing to actually turn away from the sin and put it away? That's what genuine repentance looks like. And then chapter 11 tells us the story of Jephthah, which is a very interesting story. Jephthah, like many of the other judges who we do see as flawed, um, ends up in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. So clearly God thought of Jephthah as a man of faith. And you see that really in kind of the, the speech that he gives here before the, the, this other kingdom, as he is reflecting on biblical history and what God has done and what God has given to Israel and really claiming the promises of God. That's why I think he is an example of faith. 
But obviously Jephthah, for many of you, if you've read through the Bible before, you're familiar with him, you're thinking of, well, isn't Jephthah the guy that makes that crazy promise and then keeps it? And that's what we see at the end of the chapter. He makes a vow, whatever he is the first to come out of his house, he's going to offer it to the Lord. And the first thing that comes out of his house is his daughter. And now there's some debate about what does this mean here? Because God clearly is against human sacrifice. Uh, So how can Jephthah do that? And maybe even so much, maybe this isn't talking about human sacrifice, um, but it, you know, he's offering up his daughter to serve the Lord. So she's never going to get married. Um, And and so I, I know that there's people that hold those different opinions. Personally, I do think that Jephthah makes a foolish vow to offer as a burnt offering um, what is the first thing to come out of his house and that it was his daughter and that he followed through foolishly on that vow. And uh, really, I think the end of the chapter doesn't make sense as much if it is just um, that she is a perpetual you know, virgin to serve the Lord. I don't know that that re- would require so much remorse and be even be noted in scripture as such a foolish thing. Um, but that's that's my personal opinion on this passage. But I do think it shows that it's a glimpse into this world of the judges where the nation of Israel was not tracking like it should. And so even though there are glimpses of faith, like we see in Jephthah, some good commendable faith and trusting in the promises of God and the teaching of the word, we also see that it is mixed with just worldly thinking and he was influenced by the culture around him. And I think we're going to see that as we get into Samson here pretty soon, right? Clearly some amazing examples of of faith and boldness, but also some worldliness and really giving into the desires of the flesh. And I think that's a good call for us as Christians. We want to be people of faith, but we don't want to be just mixed up in worldly ways of thinking. And maybe that's an example we can take from what we see here in Jephthah. Uh, Next, let's go to Psalm 53. And this is a psalm that was quoted in Romans 3, where it talks about that there is, the fool says there is no God. And really, are there any that seek after God? Verse 3, they have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. That's kind of a depressing thought, isn't it? Well, it ends with a prayer. It doesn't really get more encouraging in its content, but it ends with a prayer in verse 6 which says, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. As I was reading that, I was just struck what salvation has come out of Zion because now Jesus Christ has come. He has lived the perfect life. He died on the cross as our substitute and he has risen again. There is salvation, even though there is none who does good. There is salvation that is available to all because of what Christ has done. So even as we read this Psalm that can be discouraging, and even we look around the world and say, yep, still true. There is none who does good. We can praise God that there is salvation that is available through Jesus Christ. And we see the the strength and the power of Jesus Christ, even as we wrap up in Mark 5 verses 1 through 13. We'll talk more about this tomorrow as the story wraps up in our reading tomorrow. But here we see Jesus heal a demon-possessed man that no one else could touch, that, that no one else seemed to be able to help. No chain could hold him. But we see the power of Jesus to break this 
this power that was over this man. So may we praise our Savior and his power to overcome sin, to overcome the devil, and to overcome darkness. And as we seek to follow him, let us always remember to consider our brothers and sisters in love. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.